catch up on here on Tailgate, the Monday episode. Big fan of the NFL review episodes. A lot to review. It was a chaotic week. I think you said this week made no sense. What was the tweet exactly? It wasn't a good tweet, but it was something <laughs> along the lines of uh, nothing about this weekend of football made sense. And it didn't. Like. No. You had Aaron Rodgers with no wide receivers outdueling Kyler Murray. You had Trevor Simeon outdueling Tom Brady. You had Cooper Rush outdueling Kirk Cousins. Actually, that one might make sense. But the other ones, I mean, it was just a lot of games just had improbable things happening left and right that this is why the NFL is the best. It's why it's king. Yeah. It's because any given Sunday, it's a week-to-week league, as we say here at PFF. I mean, I get. I was asked earlier on a radio hit last week, like, why? How does the NFL do it? Like, how does the NFL stay, you know, with so much parity? And it's honestly, I do think that they do a really good job of making sure that, like, doormat franchises even have a chance. Like, doormat fran. There are no 30, 40 point spreads in the NFL like there is yeah. for college football, etc. It has been a fantastic season. I mean, maybe the only game where you kind of thought it made sense was you saw the Panthers beating or the, not the Panthers, the Bills being the Dolphins by 14. They covered that spread. They were the only like big favorite, I think, to cover the closing line. But let's go ahead and get into catch an early buzz. I, I, say, I think it's I think it's because the NFL sells like hope better than any other sort of league. Whether it's MLB, oh, yeah. NBA in terms of like three or four bounces here and there decide can decide your season can make you into you know can bounce you in from a worst place team the year prior to a first place team the next yeah. year so it's so it's so uh week to week i mean in the offseason too how much they make free agency like yeah. a spectacle a the draft yeah. and i think That's some it. of that too is because with the draft specifically rookies have a huge impact early on like with mlb nhl oftentimes you draft a guy and it's not he's not immediately an impactful player and this year we have like four or five rookie quarterbacks starting and it's like okay yeah. every single week is 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 a treat all right catch an early buzz von miller traded to the los angeles rams for a 2022 second round pick and a 2022 third round pick and i think a big reason why it's those picks i don't think he's worth that by itself is that the denver broncos are paying nine million dollars of the remaining 9.7 million dollar salary for von miller so you yeah. are i think the rams are paying a little extra capital to make sure that that contract doesn't ding them some people are calling this trade fun to watch i think we've seen four or five people tweet out that watching von miller jalen ramsey and aaron donald will be fun to watch do you have a better take than that <laughs> uh i mean i i this is an all-in play this is a we want a Super Bowl, not in the future. We want it literally this year. We are willing to give up. Now, second and third, it's not like hampering you to your knees, but they've already given up next year's first. They have now are now going to go through the 2021 and the 2022 drafts with one singular top 100 pick. That's 2-2 Atwell. Um, so they are basically eschewing any sort of impact rookies like we just talked about, guys that can make immediate impacts on your football team for – one high-end player. And the thing is, Von Miller is not the Von Miller we grew up knowing and loving. I grew up shit. I was like in college when he started playing. But the, the Von Miller that we saw, you know, lead the Broncos to a Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. He is damn near 30. He's almost 33 years old. He's going to turn 33, I believe, after the season. He is, I want to say shell of his former self, but he is not the down-in, down-out dominant presence. He is coming off an ankle injury, was inactive actually this past week. So he is... If you're expecting, you know, hearing Aaron Donald and Von Miller lining up next to each other, you're expecting something that I'm not sure it's going to be. 
quite that good, but he is still a massive upgrade over what they have there on the edge for the Rams. Oh, 100%. An 85.6 PFF grade this year in run defense, an 83.0 grade. Yeah, he only has 28 pressures and a 78.2 pass rushing grade on the season, but he is, like you said, an upgrade. And when paired with Aaron Donald, obviously Von Miller are going to be a better, you know, will have better opportunities and that back end with Jalen Ramsey, et cetera. They'll have, he'll have better opportunities to get after the passer. I would not be surprised, you know, so far this season, he doesn't have a 90.0 single game grade. I would not be surprised if he plays a lot better or at least more productive football in a Los Angeles Rams uniform. And you, you spoke to the strategy for the Rams. Do you agree with the strategy? saying, you know, we're not going to be drafting anytime soon here. We're going to go all in with these veteran players. Do they have enough to go all in? I think so. I agree with strategy. If if you're going to go all in, like, don't go halfway and make it so that it's like, oh, we're going to kind of try to push for the next maybe year and a half. It's like, no, try to make sure, give yourself the absolute best chance of winning it right now and deal with whatever cap hell, whatever sort of bridge you're going to have to cross once, uh, those guys who are your elite players aren't playing elite anymore or when your your roster is completely decimated in terms of like mid-level talent in terms of starters. So I, I think it's a problem that you push down the road that you've already kind of done and you don't want to go halfway kind of like we're and still keep kicking the can like we've seen with like the Saints where they're they're in a position where they're still trying to hang on to that where it's like, well, when they know it's bad, when it's gone south for this Rams team, I think they're going to completely sort of gut the roster and then try to rebuild from there. I will, when we get to the Rams game, I want to talk about... will be like two or three years down the road, obviously. When we get to the Rams game on our review, I want to talk a little bit about Matthew Stafford and his MVP candidacy. Because I do think there is legitimate legs to that. Timo Risque, a data analyst here at PFF, or data scientist rather, he writes a piece weekly on like who he feels should be in the lead for league MVP. And Matthew Stafford for consecutive weeks now has been that front runner with what he's done in the Rams offense. I think he ranks number two in passing touchdowns, number two in passing yards. And it goes beyond that. He has elevated this team to be all in, to be this legitimate Super Bowl contender, especially when you compare just how much of an upgrade he's been over Jared Goff. I think the conversation all offseason was, yeah, he's an upgrade but how much you're seeing now that it's a significant upgrade than what Jared Goff was in Los Angeles one more catch a buzz thing before we get to the review Derek Henry hurt we'll have see we'll have surgery Mike Brable the coach of the Tennessee Titans is not saying it's season ending there's quote unquote absolutely a chance he returns this season but he will be out six to ten weeks with a foot injury I think it's a Jones fracture or a broken fifth metatarsal whatever that was how big of an impact is this how big of an impact is this on the Tennessee Titans and do you feel Jerry McNichols I think a third year back at a Boise State is enough or should they go after somebody like AP maybe Gurley maybe make a trade for someone where's your head there yeah I mean I I can't tell you exactly how big the impact is because Derrick Henry obviously is unique in terms of his usage just in, ter- just in the NFL today. Like, he, he's getting far more carries, far more touches. And from, like, the pure EPA standpoint, obviously the last two weeks, like, he hasn't done much on the ground, yet they've still won games. Like, I, I, it's hard to sort of quantify the impact he does make on opposing defense psychologically. It's the thing that everyone's preached about the running game and whatnot, but I do think he's one of the few backs that actually may apply to because of how dominant he has been, that teams actually will have to game plan for him. And so you're going to see a different approach to pass coverage against the Tennessee Titans team now uh, than we have in the past. So I think we'll finally get, this will be the ultimate litmus test of, 
does that running back matter? That running back that does not offer much in the pass game, if anything. I, I mean, he is in the pass game, he's screens. Mm-hmm. He is swing screens. That's he's not running a route in the passing game. He's a pure runner of the football. How much does that actually impact opposing defenses? We're finally going to get that test and a pretty clean sample here with half a season with him half a season without him to see what this Tennessee Titans offense looks like. Yeah, it's going to be, I think a lot of people are going to, I mean, Eric Eager, PFF, I can imagine if Vic Nichols goes off for 120 yards, it'll be running backs don't matter festival on social media. Uh, Adam Schefter. But but that's the the bigger thing is not how McNichols produces, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's how Ryan Tannehill produces. The offense, yeah. Exactly. It's like The play action passing game, all that stuff. Yes. No. Adam Schefter, shortly after reporting the news, mentioned some names that could be available via trade. Tevin Coleman, David Johnson and Philip Lindsay, Tyson Williams of the Baltimore Ravens, Ronald Jones, Mike Davis, Rashad Penny. I mean, they Uh, drafted McNichols in the third round. Like, if if you're not going to give, you're not going to feel comfortable turning the reins over to him. And, And yeah, maybe if like someone like no, Melvin, was a fifth Melvin, rounder. Fifth rounder? Yeah. Darrington Evans was Darrington a third Evans. Jeez, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. Okay, if you're not comfortable turning the keys over to him, uh, I would be surprised. Like the, I, yeah, I guess, Evans is on the injured reserve. Oh, though. is he? Okay, yeah. that's why. Well, I'm an idiot. Then I'm completely <laughs> fucking that up. So ignore everything I literally just said. Um, Melvin Gordon would be probably the guy I'd go after with the Broncos selling off. Still has some in the tank. Obviously, just fumbled this past week, but I, I, that would be who I would probably say, you know, not Tyson Williams or whatever. So, yeah, I think he went to Twitter shortly after the Von Miller trade and showed some displeasure with Von Miller on his way to Los Angeles. For Jerry McNichols, former fifth round pick out of Boise State, only has, I think, what, like 14 carries this season. I'd be, I'm interested to see what they do. I think they could make a play, at least for backup to McNichols out of the gate. We'll see what they do, though. I don't think it's going to be, regardless, you're not picking up another Derrick Henry, and this offense is going to be. Comp- potentially a lot different than it was. And obviously for the fantasy football community, this is a tragedy on all accounts. <laughs> no one knows what to do now that Derrick Henry, the king, is on. Yeah, won't people think of the fantasy team? Come yeah, on. I'm sorry. I should have thought of that. I saw Chris Long tweeted. I thought this is kind of fun to read. Chris Long, the former NFL player, tweeted out, he also hosts good podcasts, that I, I was so busy thinking about the human the player Derrick Henry that I forgot that he also screws my fantasy team and there's no coming back. I thought that was pretty great. All right, let's get to Thursday night football in yes. week eight Packers let's. Cardinals. Both of us picked the Cardinals minus six and a half. There was not a lot of reason not to Kyler Murray was playing. Well, they were without Devontae Adams. They were without David Bakhtiari. They were without Marcus Valdez-Scanling. This was not supposed to be a green Bay Packers dub, but a lot went their way. I'd argue that Kyler Murray still played really well. Both of his picks, in my opinion, weren't completely his fault. He had the one pass that was tipped up, and then A.J. Green absolutely lost yeah, in I the mean, end zone. I, I, and then you factor in the muff punt, too, from Rondell Moore, which I have a take on that, by the way. Rondell Moore muffs that punt. He knows he touched it. Yeah. Why would you not? You know they're going to review that on cameras. My take is don't play it off. Yeah. You know, I, I think you have to... It's different than a false start. You know, false start, you try and play it off and hope they don't call it. But with the muff, it's like, hey, I touched it. I know I touched it. I need to go get that ball because they're going to review this like 50,000 times. Yeah, I. that might work in high school. Yeah, you exactly. Know, it, it would it definitely up. work in high school, yeah. You, you you go for that and you're like, pray to God. Like in basketball, uh, growing up or whatever, if you touch the ball going out, you act as if you didn't. You know, like you never, yeah. you didn't go for it if, he's, if you thought there was a close one or whatever. So... I agree, though. In the NFL level, there's no acting job to sell it. They got cameras everywhere. So, uh, yeah, that one's obviously was on him. And the breaks, I mean, talk about the mistakes in this game. All went against the Cardinals. Yeah. Six and a half 
you can say it was a dumb sort of bet in retrospect, and obviously it ended up going the Packers' way, but the pick off Rondell Moore's hands, the bump, the muff punt, and the the whatever at the end, the pick at the end, the A.J. Green to Roswell Douglas, all either took points off the board or added points to the Packers that were like that. Those flipped the other way and is a blowout for the Cardinals. Oh, so that, that was all great in my opinion, because I'm obviously a Packers <laughs> fan. So that, that one, the, the play at the end of the game though, was probably the most improbable ending I can remember, like at least this season going back. I mean, to it, it was, it was like the Malcolm Butler picking the end zone, but maybe even crazier because that was guys don't you don't throw to guys running the wrong routes and just get picked in the end zone like that just that doesn't happen although it kind of did happen in the Chargers game too but within that situation I remember just that entire drive the Packers playing like off coverage on like a second and two and just giving them layup after layup down the football field I'm like this is how it ends they get every break in this game and they're going to just fold right at the end and lose this and Insanity. I, I was that was my. We'll just do it right now. That was my cake pants moment of the weekend for sure for me <laughs> at least this weekend because that was I had I had in my mind already resigned to the fact that the Packers were going to give that game up. I, th- I think uh, we're going to bring up this play a little bit later. A minor cake moment for me was the Cedric Wilson throw. That Cedric Cedric Wilson seed. on the move. That was a seed and a half. That yeah. guy put it on a rope. The spiral was beautiful. Um, but we'll get to those moments yeah. later. I will say this too with Aaron Rodgers. You know, LaFleur dialed up an impressive screen game. 70%, over 70% of Aaron Rodgers' passing yards came after the catch. He only had a 5.9 average depth of target. I think they did a really good job, obviously, to even be in this game, scheming an offense without Devontae Adams. Yeah, so he had a 5.9 average depth of target, and he had a 62-yard Hail Mary in that game. <laughs> That's insane. If he doesn't, if he take that away, it's a 4.2 average depth of target, which was... Uh, I believe would have been the lowest of the weekend. So he was, he was not throwing the ball far downfield because it, the, like the wide receivers one, just like you don't have the rapport yeah. to know how they're going to run a post. Like it, that's so big at the position. And it's not just that he had bad receivers. Someone wanted, someone tweeted after the game that like you know Brady has won Super Bowls with similar receiving cores. It's not that. It's not that those guys aren't good. It's that he hasn't thrown to them at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that those guys have not been on the practice field with Aaron Rodgers because you don't give your backups reps with the starters because you don't, that doesn't matter. You don't want Juwan Winfrey taking reps away from Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard and the guys who are going to be on the football field. So he has no clue how these guys are basically going to react in certain situations. You saw a number of miscommunications, even on like underneath screen passes. So yeah. that was the bigger thing to me of obviously about how a getting all backups in your receiving core can affect you. Before we get to the Sunday slate, starting with the Panthers-Falcons game, going to tell you guys that you can use promo code TAILGATE for 25% off any PFF subscription on pff.com. Support the podcast. Subscribe with that promo code. It helps us out a ton. Keeps Renner dressed, food on the table, etc. If you want to support Renner directly, use the promo code. You need to see it. 1 p.m. slate, Panthers-Falcons. Sam Darnold outplayed Matt Ryan. And Matt Ryan has been playing so well this season. This was easily the worst Matt Ryan was a top 10 graded passer. What do you want oh, that okay. face for? I'm making the face because it's like, yeah, I played him, but it was more because Matt Ryan played like ass cheeks. I know. That's what I'm saying. Okay. This, yeah. was the first, this was the first <laughs> bad game. I mean, this was easily well, his like, worst game then, of the season. But then think about, I'm making hand gestures here and I'm on a podcast, which I'm an idiot, but think about Panthers defense somewhere up here, Falcons defense oh, somewhere yeah. like on my hand on the table here. Mm-hmm. Like, so outplayed given the competition level, it's like 
he ran into a buzzsaw. They just didn't have he didn't have a lot of opportunities. And, and I liked what the Panthers did in terms of getting physical with Cal Pitts. Uh, I think that's one thing that he hasn't seen obviously much of at for going from college to the NFL is guys who want to check him. Like he always was kind of the BMOC, the the big dude that in college you would have been crazy as a linebacker to try to check him. But these are NFL players, and they got up and got physical with him, and I thought really affected him on his routes more so than we've seen this year. And number of targets fall by the wayside uh, that went his way. So I hats off to the Panthers defense. I really liked their game plan uh, for that this game. Yeah, I mean those those interceptions were awful. I mean he just didn't see They're Shaq not. Thompson on the first interception. Stephon Gilmore got it sick. It was a sick pick by Shaq Thompson. Oh no, it was, it was it was it was and. Um, Stephon Gilmore got physical with Kyle Pitts on that second pick. He never even created a step of separation on that one. The other highlight I was going to mention here, so Panthers, Falcons were favored by three at home. Panthers win this one 19-13. Darnold having a better performance than Matt Ryan. I will say, A.J. Terrell, Clemson, former Clemson cornerback, is playing outstanding this season. Yeah. He's only allowed 55 yards all season, and he's allowed the second lowest passer rating, 55.5, without a pick. And normally that statistic is driven by, you know, Interceptions because mm. interceptions have a very positive effect on pass rating loud if you are a cornerback. So he has been really stellar this year. I think he's been a small bright spot. Him and Grady, Grady Jarrett, two small bright spots on what is obviously a very bad Falcons defense. Yes, he has looked well worth that first round pick. Um, you know, everyone kind of got on them for passing on CeeDee Lamb. I, I don't think it's a mess. It doesn't look it doesn't look like that bad of a choice. Like you, the one either way, it looks like one of those in retrospect. I will say this though, with caveat, they've turned into a cover two defense. Basically there in Atlanta cover two corners. You're not going to give up a lot of yards. Mm -hmm. Like that's, you are a flat defender as cover two corner. So that, that is inflating or deflating, shall we say his yards allowed to a degree, but it's, he's still even in situations where he has does play man because obviously you can't just sit and cover two, and that's not what they are doing. But even in situations where he has played man, he has looked good. So hats off to A.J. Terrell. For sure deserves more love than shit I've seen him get like anywhere. Dolphins at Bills. Bills were favored by 13 and a half. And this was a brutal, disastrous beat if you are a Dolphins backer because oh. they score kind of a garbage time touchdown late in this game to beat the Dolphins 26 to 11. I, will, I put this in all caps here. And maybe you social, if you want to quote graphic, you can. Fire this Dolphins offense into the sun. It is a disaster. I mean, the Mike Kosicki fumble was awful. This offensive line is dreadful. The, it, and, and it's not Tua Tungvaluwa. I mean, it's all it's everything don't have, else. Don't have Tua Tungvaluwa throw it, though. It'll probably end up like not even leaving the atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, this is this was rough, man. This was, uh, this, this was a terrible... That was an arm strength joke. It was pretty bad. Uh, it's bad. No, yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no sugarcoating it. It's a quarterback who can't, you know, overcome a bad situation with physical tools in a bad situation is kind of what it is right yeah. now. And the Tua did not play well, but he also did not have much of a chance. Mm -hmm. On his 28 drop back passes that weren't screens, RPOs, or uh, quick game, like actual dropping back two pass, he was pressured 16 times. They could not pass protect for drop back passing concept. Yeah. And you're not going to win games in the NFL, especially against teams like the Buffalo Bills, if you cannot 
run a drop back passing offense. And I will, not, so I'll say this. The Bills defense is a house. I mean, they are first ranked in EPA per play allowed. They have been phenomenal this year. They can get after the quarterback. They, they make plays on the back end. Jordan Poyer, I think, is one of the highest graded safeties, number two in PFF grade so far this season. They're good. But some of these errors for Miami are like, Unforced. I mean, this is a you said it, I think, yesterday that it's just like the least well run offense. It's just, it's just the coaching does, they don't look like they're in the right place ever. And the other thing I'll highlight too, and I know a lot of the blame goes on Tua and a lot of the blame goes on the offensive line. Brian Flores' defense ranks 27th in EPA per play. They're not getting pressure on the quarterback. They're not forcing uh, turnovers on the back end. This has not been a good year on either side of the ball. And I'll say this. If the Chiefs lose tonight, they'll be the most disappointing team in the NFL. But if they don't and they come out of this with a win or whatever, this Miami Dolphins team is so disappointing, so disappointing on both sides of the ball. Just a a really disastrous start for the Dolphins and just in an area where you thought they were going to take the next step. I think before the season, I said this is a team that could make the playoffs, you know, in in 2021. Now, obviously not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, they made kind of an all-in move for Jalen Waddle, thinking oh, that's a kind of over-the-edge sort of piece. You don't give up future first-rounder unless you think that. Um, but it's this wasn't the game to criticize the defense. I thought the defense did well. They did a really good job of using their blitz packages, blitz a lot, and still shutting down the Bills' screen game. The Bills ran 15 screens in this game. They ran more screens than the Packers did. And those 15 screens went for a total of three first downs. Uh, so they, I thought they had a good game plan. It was just the other side of the ball. There was no, there was no game plan to save this Dolphins offense. Actually, I shouldn't even say it. There probably was a game plan to save this Dolphins offense, but it wasn't what they put out there. And the fact that they still have two offensive coordinators and still look like a discombobulated mess with that Gazeki fumble. Um, yeah, jet, that was jet sweep motion, which we talked about on last orbit. week's pod about jet sweep versus orbit. You don't have to worry about that when you do orbit. Do have to worry about that during jet sweep motion. Cost them there. Uh, and, and then their running game, they had the lowest EPA per rush of any team in the NFL this past weekend. So tough scenes all around. Tough scenes in Buffalo. I have to bring this up. I have to break up the structure of the show. Breaking news. Urban Meyer was asked what oh, he's doing no. at the trade deadline. We, should, we shouldn't record during Urban Meyer press conferences. It's they're just so too, they're always they're just too entertaining. They are too entertaining. He says obviously we're listening and then he said when he was asked if they are buyers or sellers, he said he doesn't know. He doesn't know if they're buyers or sellers at the deadline. That's incredible. That's incredible to me. Okay? I just don't th- this is the, the second man time that's a hard bargain. That's uh that's negotiating 101. Never tip just, your hands. Never tip your hand. <laughs> this is the second time he said like I don't know to a question or he he was asked about like wait, why didn't, you know, James Robinson play in the fourth or whatever. He's like, "Oh, I didn't really think about it." It's like this is not okay. Like I need to I need some more control from Urban Meyer. And we're going to make fun of you when we get to the Jaguars game because you backed the Jaguars this week. Yes, and it did. was a blowout. And it was a blowout. All right. 49ers at Bears. This was an interesting game. We turned to this game in the office after watching a lot of the Rams game, and it was a blowout, so we moved off of that and watched the 49ers-Bears game, 33-22, 49ers win. I thought Fields played okay. Obvious threat with his legs. He was dinged for a turnover really play that he fumbled like right out of bounds. But the pick wasn't his fault at all. I thought he put that right on Darnell Mooney's hands. I thought he played okay. I thought the 49ers obviously played better. Yeah, because the 49ers won the game. That's that's probably a good take. Um, no, appreciate I, that. <laughs> I do. I do think it was more of an encouraging performance than a number we've seen. Um, obviously, going for over 100 yards on the ground, like he is dynamic as a runner. We said this before. It's 220 plus runs, four four. That's ain't no faking that, and that leads to plays like we saw uh, on that fourth down, the scramble that could have could have put them in contention to win. Then obviously the defense crumbled like a wet 
paper towel, but I will still say he's scrambling a lot still. I think eight times oh, yeah. on 40 dropbacks. And it's just, I would, I, I go back to Kyler Murray's rookie year when he scrambled only 29 times all year and they didn't involve him much in the running game. And I would try to do that as much as possible if I'm Matt Nagy shit. I don't even know how much longer Matt Nagy's going to be there. But if I'm coaching him up, trying to develop him, I'm saying, and it's like very first play of the game, play action, rolls left. He's got Darnell Mooney in the flat wide open. Maybe a guy, defender probably eight yards. The, the throw, if he throws it to Mooney in rhythm, is going to go for four or five. Fields keeps it, runs, three or four yard gain. It's like... Just make that throw. If I'm coaching him up, I'm saying just make that throw. Get those, get that rhythm going. Get those confidence throws in you because the scrambles will always be there. You can always add the scrambles back on. I think the way he's playing right now, you just risk him always going to the scramble, always expecting that as the outlet and him having success with that. You think it's only, it's only probably going to make him do it more because that's that was the more valuable aspect of his game. And now he did have the dime touchdown throw uh, to Jesse James in the end zone. That was one of the better throws I saw all weekend. But the rate of which he is trying to break pockets and do that outside of structure stuff, it's like, yeah, it's great. He is that kind of athlete. That's going to be a big part of his game. But it's the other things that he has to develop at that I would just say, if I'm a head coach, I'm like, no more screen. Like, yeah. do not do that. Like, get the ball out, dump plays before you scramble. Even if it's probably detrimental to the offense right now, it's probably better for his long-term development. I think that's a that's a calculated, fair take. Steelers, Browns, Browns favored by three and a half. I liked the Browns to cover if Baker Mayfield was healthy, and you could debate whether or not he's 100%. But this was awful. And you have this in your notes, too. But, like, the Baker Mayfield sacks in this game, I think he had four, were all his fault. He's all he's all holding the ball too long, trying to scramble when he's not fast enough to get out of these yeah. things, run, running into pressure. And this has been kind of the, the red flag or the weakness with Baker Mayfield, even since his Oklahoma days and that under pressure, converting sacks, but also under pressure, like just making bad decisions. And sometimes those are sacks. Sometimes those are picks. It, 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 that is detrimental to you know this Browns offense is a big reason why they only scored 10 points he didn't even have a turnover the play but the sacks were so bad in this game yeah he has the second highest pressure sack conversion rate of any quarterback in the NFL only Justin Fields is higher he's at 31.4 percent of his pressures convert to sacks which it's like buddy you have a torn labrum in your left shoulder you have a you have a serious issue that you're hampering that could at any point, at any minor hit, even end your season here. Why are you still taking that? Like, get that ball out of your hands as quick as possible. And I just keep going back to the, I think I've said it before, like, he just looks like he has such a higher estimation of his own athleticism than yeah, everyone yeah, else. Yeah. Like, confidence he, is crazy. He thinks that he is like, it, it's like he was probably the best athlete at some small middle school and has never lost that confidence same yeah. like he still is like i can do this and he's got guys who are 40 pounds heavier than him that are much much faster than him chasing him down and just annihilate him he has he is not a creator so he has to just same shit i said about fields like you gotta stop gotta stop trying to create you're not a creator you don't do it you gotta stand in there hang in there and start making some throws when those pockets are tight instead of as soon as the rush comes dropping your eyes and thinking, how do I break this and make a play outside the pocket? Because it's not happening, and you're only going to get hurt. On the Steelers' side, I wouldn't even say that Big Ben played all that better 
you know, that turnover where he played and where he threw it to kind of two Browns defenders' chest. It was, that one's a pick, and this game maybe is a little bit different, and 63% of his yards came after the catch. He didn't have, um, you know, he obviously wins this game, but I don't think he played all that great either. The Steelers team, I'm not buying as deep postseason contenders, even though they beat a very good Browns team who a lot of people early in the season, I think we're right to call them legitimate contenders. Now they're starting to fall off a bit. The Baker Mayfield injury and just his play overall has not helped them. Yeah, it, the defense is still legit. I mean, the defense looked fine in this game. Uh, but Baker either either sit him because he's not healthy or he's, things got to turn around fast. Because if, if he is actually hurt and is detrimental to his play, he's costing himself a lot of money because he looks like shit out there. Like He is not helping them offensively. And I get, yeah, Jarvis Landry also didn't help them offensively with a couple drops, that big fumble. But, man, that was that one... That one was on Baker. And I will say this, the Boswell play, Chris Boswell. Oh, it was incredible. That is what every single person sitting on their couch right now would look like if they tried, if they got hit by any NFL play. That, that was unbelievable. Like it looked super violent and everyone's like, how is this not roughing the passer? That was, if that's like any normal, that's like Josh Allen. Josh Allen doesn't even go down, but mm -hmm. because it's a kicker, that guy flies 30 feet off the sideline. Yeah, because it's more about how far he flew yes. than it was like the actual impact of the hit. Then, like then the impact like how hit was late, obviously aggressive. The, the, late, like, the, hit, what, the hit was aggressive, but it was not particularly late. It was mm -hmm. one step hit, which is what you get. It wasn't in the helmet. It was in the chest. It was just that Chris Boswell is a stick <laughs> so compared to your run-of-the-mill NFL player. And they kept replaying it, too. Oh, if you great. watched the broadcast, they just kept going. It was phenomenal. Eagles-Lions. Didn't even watch too much of this game live. I'll say that. Went back and watched it. And it's just what's crazy. The craziest stat from this game for me, the Eagles win 44-6. The Lions were three-and-a-half-point dogs at home. Craziest stat for me, Jalen Hurts threw 14 passes. He threw 14 passes, nine completions. He had like 70-ish 70, 70 yards. Like, he didn't have to do anything. This this was an utter and utter collapse for Dan Campbell and the Lions. Jared Goff looked horrendous. I looked at season to date. He has thrown an uncatchable, inaccurate pass, according to PFF, on 48% of his throws 10 yards or more downfield. Like literally just like half of his throws aren't even hitting the broadside of a barn down the football field. And some of that, you know, maybe some of that's the receiving core. It's not great. No one's creating separation, whatever. But oh my gosh, this Lions team is in a pit of despair. The favorite to get the number one overall pick for good reason. Uh, yeah, it, I did not go back in all 22 this review, and I'll keep it real. I, I did not see many takeaways that I would glean from watching this Dolphins team. I will just say this. I think it was funny that everyone was kind of writing the think pieces about Dan Campbell and the buy-in he has and how it's like, oh, it's still like, you know, the moral victories. They're still, you know, playing so hard for him. And then they put one of the biggest eggs we saw all season long. That just like, that was... Just a little, little tragic irony there. All righty. On to Titans. Unless you had something else on the Eagles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, no, I'm good. We're good there. Yeah, uh, Titans at Colts. This was one of the better games uh, on Sunday. This is fantastic. I was a, I'm was a huge fan of watching this one through. Titans 34, Colts 31. It was a great game. It was a great game. A.J. Brown season was the first note I had. A lot of outbreaking routes, too. Just creating separation. Tannehill putting on the money. I'm ready to say it. Ryan Tannehill is good. Like, we, we don't have to keep on, like, waiting, we're mm. waiting, we're waiting. Well, now we're going to find out. No, we're waiting for this regression. Like, we're, well, I guess, I guess so. But no, I, I, Derrick Henry was not a big factor in this game anyway. Like, he averaged, like, 2.3 yards per carry. And Ryan Tannehill was just dropping seed after seed. He was very accurate with the football. The, the Kenny Moore interception, did you watch that back on the All-22? The Kenny Moore pick for Tannehill? Yeah, it's dope. What the hell? 
that oh, was one of the sickest throws I've, I mean, I mean, sickest picks I've yeah. seen this year. He comes, I mean, he peeks inside towards, I think it was AJ Brown, uh, breaking defender and like turns right as the ball's coming. Like he knew he was going to throw that yeah. football. And I think they were in what, cover two there? It was a that wild. one in the, in the CJ Gardner Johnson pick. We're yeah. both awesome interceptions. CJ Gardner Johnson comes off a guy in man coverage. Yeah, that was man. That, pick yeah. On top that was cover that, one too. It wasn't even like yeah. two man. That was nuts. That was sweet. But here, here's a, here's a good statistical take that, is obviously dead wrong. But Derrick Henry, 4.3 yards per carry this year. Ryan Tannehill, 7.2. Maybe they just give Tannehill all these carries. Stop. 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 I don't. I, so we talked a little bit at the top, obviously, on what this Derrick Henry injury is going to have an impact on, on, the, on the Titans. But you still feel really confident they're going to win the AFC South? Yes. Uh, so, okay. They, they have a three-game lead, which is a fairly large lead in the NFL. And they have the tiebreaker. So the Colt, they have now beaten the Colts twice. So the Colts have to not only catch three games, but then not be tied at the end yeah. of the season. I, yeah, I, I feel very confident. Derrick Henry's good. He is not. I mean, you, but you still have A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. You still have one of the top five or so receiving cores in the NFL with Ryan Tannehill. So I, and in a division that you get uh, a number of layups still going forward with the Texans and the Jaguars. So, yeah, I feel fairly confident in the Titans still, even if I'm not certain that they're, you know, even if I would be very surprised if they do end up like getting the one seed in the AFC. I put my notes here. We didn't talk a ton about the Colts, but I put Carson Wentz, what the literal F bomb. I don't understand the interception in the all end right, zone. Right. Go. Interception in the end zone was a screen to Mo Alleycox. It was supposed to be a screen. Got blown up by a defensive defender being in the passing window. And so, yes, he should have immediately spiked it towards Moelle Cox's direction, thrown it, you know, at the at the defender's hip or whatever, and just done it. But one, after after the first pump that he didn't do that, he was kind of screwed. Yeah. Because yeah. then there was another guy coming, like he had no, there was no real, and then Moelle Cox kind of backing up to where there's no guy to throw it to. So I, I, that left-handed heave that he did end up doing, and he's sitting in his own end zone, left-handed heave he ended up doing, I, I think could have been called intentional grounding, which would have been a safety. Would have been interesting to sort of, if they had thrown the flag, would have been an interesting thought experiment of, do we take this touchdown that we just got, or do we have them pump the ball back to us after the intentional grounding, and now maybe they could have onside kicked but it would have been... You can't onside kick a punt, can you? I mean, like, you can just, like, try to rip it off a guy in the front line, maybe. I don't know. I've never but seen it. <laughs> it would have been an interesting thought experiment of what to do, because I think they had, like, a minute 30 or minute 45 or something with uh, the Colts only having one timeout, so they could have gotten it down to, like, 20 seconds. I think you probably still take the touchdown and just say, hey, we're going to make you go the entire length of the field, score a touchdown. But that, I would have been interested to see. Maybe we'll have to ask Eric what the sort of decision there would have been in terms of what they what a computer would have told us to i'm do. willing to hear the argument that maybe that looked worse than what it actually was but the overtime interception he, he too didn't have yeah so he didn't have much of an option the overtime one was far far worse yeah it was a backbreaker far, too. Far it was game i mean that's there you go look at that play at the all 22 you have two linebackers sprinting on the route that he ends up targeting i believe um sprinting back to cover that after uh, i think it was play action fake jonathan taylor is then wide open on the double. like a curl right in the middle of the field. Carson Wentz hits that on time. Jonathan Taylor has at least 10 yards of free run. If he makes one linebacker miss, they are in the field goal range on that play right there. That was 
probably I mean that was a disaster. That was the game loser right there. That was why you know probably don't give up first for Carson Wentz. Oh no. Oh no. All right. Uh let's get off this game. Bengals at Jets. Oh wait, one more thing about this game. Carson Wentz. The the pass interference offense has been fucking humming. Three more pass interference calls in this game. You know, it's 223 yards of pass interference penalties in two weeks. It's more than anyone else has all year. The dude is master in the game. I mean, just keep it rolling. Don't don't stop. They, they, he was early in the year. He was just throwing those passes to running backs. Now he's just heaving them up. I love it. Keep going. Like that's a tried and true strategy. That that's why you trade for Carson Wentz. <laughs> I just gave you the, the dichotomy right there. Um, Bengals at Jets. Hand up. I gave the Bengals a kiss of death. I show support. No, you, you switched, didn't you? I switched, but I feel like it's still like God knew. Yeah. God knew where I was I leaning. Did not switch. The, like, he wouldn't let the switch go through. I give the Bengals some credit. I give the Bengals. I think they're going to cover. Quinn's clamoring in the back room, saying, "What the hell? Don't do it." I do it. Bengals lose outright to Mike White. Yeah, it was on the road. They lose to Mike White, and I'll say this: Mike White. Can we talk about Mike White's PFF grade? I think a lot of people are expecting it to be in the upper 90s, over 400 yards, four touchdowns, and you could argue that both his interceptions weren't his fault. Like both his interceptions weren't charted as turnover worthy plays according to PFF. Yeah, I mean, they, would, they would not, they were not going to be picked had they not bounced yeah. off his own receivers. But so, he yeah. still only earns a 70.0 grade. A lot of that because did not push a ton down the football field. Only a 4.2 average depth of target over 64% of his yards came after the catch. That being probably the biggest reason why you're not seeing that high end grading from Mike White. Yes. Yeah. That was, it was, Honestly, like the exact opposite of what, of how Zach Wilson plays the position, where it was the ball is snapped, he gets to his back foot, and then if nothing's there, it's immediately going to his running back. It's immediately going to a hitch. It's immediately going underneath. Four point two average at the target. It's like insanely low for as many as many dropbacks as he had, but it was because he was not letting the pressure get to him. He only took two sacks. He had a lower sack rate than Zach Wilson's had at any game in his entire NFL career. It was, like I said, the exact opposite. And Zach Wilson needs to go review this tape. You know, th that is what he is missing from his game and why they cannot seem to stay on schedule as an offense is because that's all literally Mike White did was get you three yards, get you four yards, get you five yards, expose the Bengals underneath linebackers, underneath zone coverages again and again and again. And if Zach Wilson can marry that aspect, you know, he can, what we just saw, from Mike White, if he can put that into his game, he is an elite NFL quarterback because the arm talent, the downfield ability is still special, as he's shown. But he cannot keep breaking the pocket the way he has in the past. Mike White was not trying to make plays outside the pocket, was not trying to be that guy, was just trying to get the ball out of his hands, not get killed. And sometimes that's a way to a successful offense, especially when, as we've said, Bengals still not an elite sort of back end of the defense just yet. Mm -hmm. Good. And I thought Shido Bayouzi should have had a pick in this game, but still, this was uh, the Bengals linebackers got exposed to a degree. Yeah. And I think the biggest reason, if you wanted to highlight that, the was it Mike Hilton on that helmet to helmet? Oh, okay. Yeah. We got to talk about that. That was, that was a disaster. Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned, I think in a tweet, that roughing the passer penalty should be reviewed. I think those helmet to helmets should also be reviewed because that was not on. Oh, no, I wasn't saying, I didn't mean like reviewed, reviewed. Just don't have them be penalties, is what I meant. Like, oh, don't really? like change the rule book, Re -re review the rule book. 
Like not review. I, I'm of the opinion it should be like college, and you should review them. Like review, review if that was a penalty. Like you see that called all the time because sometimes when it's happening live, it can look so much worse than it is. It can look, look and like you see that in college where they'll review it after throwing the flag and say actually no penalty. That's what should have happened for that 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 hit right there. Because yes, it technically was helmet to helmet, but the running Hilton was coming so like four feet off the ground with his head, and the running back dips to like earn the helmet-to-helmet contact and ultimately cost them that game. Like, it cost them an yeah. opportunity to win if, that game. If anyone lowered the helmet with relation to their spinal angle, it was the receiver, not... Spinal angle. I like that. No, you're Hilton. right, though. I get what because you're saying. Because Hilton's spine was at the exact same angle as his helmet, which you literally can't, can't change <laughs> that. Like, you can't, you can't go... If you're going backwards with it, you're, you're really screwed. So that's when you are at the angle of making a tackle. Your helmet is going to be pointing downwards because that's straight up how... What's the body? What's the study of the body? Anatomy works. That's how yeah. your anatomy works. But the running back, when you tilt your head down like that, that is what lowering crowning is. I mean, um, so I, I that was absolutely egregious call to lose on that. Sucked. But the Bengals still have other reasons to be kicking themselves in this game. Like, oh, for sure. Yes, that was one bad call but they threw away some other opportunities elsewhere. Bengals defenders missed 15 tackles in this game, the most of any team this week, and I think yeah. it was top 10 among all games this season for one side of the defense to miss that many tackles. They were not good. And they, that's how you gain you know, so much yards after the catch. That's how Mike White throws for over 400 yards is your defense is giving up extra yards by missing tackles in these things. So Rams at Texas. Smart chase, though. Drops watch, two. That was rough. The one in the end zone was gross. That one was really bad. He would that have one two just TDs like, in that one just game. like hit his pads. I didn't even like see it. That one was pretty brutal. But now five and forty-three attempts over ten percent. Five and forty-three catchable over ten percent drop rate. Bust. See a bust. Is it too stop, early to start stop. talking about? What's your problem? No, honestly, what's your problem? Rams at Texans. Texans favored by fourteen when we had this pod. It closed, I think, at sixteen and a half. So the Rams don't cover the sixteen and a half. They lose. I don't have the score. If you held your nose and took 14, though. If you held your nose and took the 14, it would have covered. I thought Terod Taylor was going to play in this game. It ended up being Davis Mills. And Davis Mills didn't play all that terribly. I thought Davis Mills actually played well in this game. Rams win 38-22. A lot of those 22 points coming in garbage time, though. But my notes here... I want to talk a little bit about Matthew Stafford. I mentioned him at the top, but Davis Mills was not horrendous. Had that really nice throw to uh, Brandon Cooks down the left sideline. Um, I just, uh, I think it was so slow. Like it was slow to get this thing going. And then by the time they were actually putting things together, Rams had backups in. And I was going to um, say, like, he played fine when the Rams literally could not have given more of a shit. Yeah, like, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. They, it was over before halftime that I think the Rams took the foot off the accelerator and said, do whatever the hell you want. It doesn't really matter. I'm of the opinion, though, and I mentioned this at the top, that Matthew Stafford should be the favorite to win the MVP right now. I'm of the opinion that he's playing that well. Even from a box score perspective, like I said, number two in passing yards, number two in passing touchdowns, both behind Tom Brady. Now, Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford both have equal odds to win MVP according to DraftKings Sportsbook. The favorite right now, plus 250, is Josh Allen. And I get, there is obviously you know, a conversation for Josh Allen. Buffalo Bills are one of the best teams in the NFL. But Matthew Stafford, what he's done to elevate this Rams team over Jared Goff is honestly super special. And with Tom Brady playing as poorly as he did last night, you have Kyler Murray playing, you know, not winning that game against Green Bay. I think there's going to be a bigger conversation around Matthew Stafford being the favorite to win the MVP. I think it will be between, though, Brady, Allen, Stafford. That's who it is right now. Yeah, I think Stafford statistically, quite obviously, is that dude. Grade-wise, actually, like, performance-wise... I'm, I think other players have been a little bit better, but like again, that all takes into account the fact that 
or grade wise can take into account more difficult throws when he has made how do I want to put this he is like still operated the offense very well it's just the offense hasn't asked him to do a ton because you know Sean McFay's a good fucking head coach so like I, I it's it's hard to separate those two things um, so he hasn't necessarily needed to go above and beyond to still rack up wins rack up good numbers that sometimes is indicative of good port, good quarterbacking still so yeah it's hard to go against him Kyler Murray I would probably lean towards if I had to go one or the other I'd probably say Kyler Murray but to each their own at this point shit we don't have to decide for nine more games on to the 4 p.m slate patriots at chargers i like the chargers to win this game and cover the five and a half but Ooh, patriots like the patriots, patriots 27 24 they win mac jones looked really good in this game and i would say the other takeaway that i had is both these options jones look really good that was news to me. You don't think Mac Jones looked good? <laughs> he had like one good. Th- he had his best throw of the season, probably the throw to Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, he looked fine. I don't. I don't think he. I plan saying he looked good. Like he looked okay. It was not the reason they won this game. Uh, the defense was the reason they won this game. Defense played exceptionally against Justin Herbert. I, I thought their game plan uh, was terrific. They had been, you know, Bill Belichick. What the fuck did I say? Bill Belichick has always been one of the most man heavy you know, DCs play callers on that side of the ball. That's what they do. They like to double guys, but obviously Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, that's a tough ask for guys. They came out and played the least amount of man coverage they played all season, only 11 snaps in the entire game. Played more cover two than they did man coverage. Justin Herbert even referred to that. It'd be like, we don't see them play cover two on tape, and they come out of this game and are starting to play cover two. So you go and watch Justin Herbert in this game, and he has like he has guys open, but he's hitting his back foot, and he is hesitant because they threw a lot of different stuff at him and some – interesting delayed blitzes on him that I really liked. I, I thought, again, that was the reason they won this game. And then obviously the the miscommunication pick where Jared Cook is kind of just out to lunch. Miscommunication between him and Justin Herbert was uh, ended up obviously being the difference. Yeah, both the Justin Herbert picks. One was the bad drop from Eckler and then the miscommunication with Jared Cook. And for Mac Jones, I thought he played well. Completion percentage is pretty horrendous. He had the two, I think he had two big time throws, and it's his third consecutive game with zero turnover worthy plays. And I think that's what this Patriots offense wants from Mac Jones. They want him clean sheets in the turnover worthy play department. The offensive line is so good. Both offensive lines played really well in this one. I still think that he is playing winning football for the Patriots. And that doesn't have to be this high end play, like a like a you know. Kyler Murray, Matthew Stafford, but he isn't playing losing football. And it's a big reason why. Five and a half point dogs on the road that come out with the win. We had a Nikhil Harry sighting of the game, too. We did. We did. Two and Antoine, so not Antoine Winfield, um, Asante Samuel Jr. on that big, you know, contested catch reception for Nikhil Harry, laying like fully horizontal and then landing like completely on his face. That was one of the more impressive leaps I've ever seen. Like he just like complete all gas, no breaks. I am laying out. That was the most clean layout I've seen. He was fully horizontal mm. parallel to the ground and landed complete no hands his hands were completely outstretched he got hurt on that play but it was a dope ass dive oh yeah that <laughs> there was that's that was uh that was something we used to talk about in baseball back in the day was like really the difference between half-assing like a dive for a ball and then when you really go because when you really go and dive for a baseball you got to do it way before you think because you're diving like you know 10, 15 feet, like you're going horizontal. If you just want to do that, like slide, half dive, those are not nearly as impressive as the full layouts uh, that takes like a mental, you almost got to tell yourself, like, just do it. Because yeah. you, you don't instinctively want 
to go, like you said, parallel to the ground. I'll be honest, playing Ultimate Frisbee for San Diego State had a handful of really nice layouts if you want to turn back on that tape. Jaguars at Seahawks. Seahawks, you backed Urban Meyer, and it was a bad decision right off the gate. Seahawks blow out the Jags, 31-7. Trevor Lawrence had two big-time throws in this game, and both went incomplete. They were on the money, and they both came in the fourth quarter. Like It took a while for this Jaguars offense to get going. The interception from Geno Smith was ugly, but outside of that, four big-time throws, I thought he looked really impressive in this game. It was definitely a step forward and a big reason why they won 31-7. Back, backing Urban Meyer still seems like a better option than Urban Meyer backing you. Yeah, no, that's true. Well, Urban Meyer backing you looks like a risk. It definitely looks like a spot. risk. That was the that was the hot uh, Halloween costume over the weekend. I like the, that one. It was the Urban Meyer and uh, friend, shall we say? But no, this one, dude. I, I I'm no I'm a bit of a Trevor Lawrence apologist. I was about to say I'm no Trevor Lawrence apologist. I'm a bit of a Trevor Lawrence apologist. He he gets a pass in, for this game. Yeah, he, he did. Oh yeah, he got absolutely. Hung out to dry by some of the worst plays from his receiving core that I've seen. The Tavon Austin, the pick Tavon Austin. He, I don't think Tavon Austin even looked back at the ball. He just starts running right at the safety instead of le- taking his route laterally across the field on a deep crosser. Like the two plays later, or two like throws later, Jamal Agnew running across her across the field just stops inexplicably. Like there were a number of just inexplicable decisions from his receivers that cost Trevor Lawrence in this game. And then the fact that shit, Jamal Agnew is your number one receiver, has been his most targeted receiver over the last three weeks, when Jamal Agnew was not even starting for the Lions last year. Couldn't even break the starting line for the Lions last year as receiver. This is this, this is ugly for Jackson. We've said this since like week two. Yeah. I mean, this Jaguar supporting caster on Trevor Lawrence is a disaster from sideline well, to sideline. Yeah. It is not good. It is legitimately not good. Jamal Agnew, by the way, fantastic story. Doug Hyde sat down with him. A reporter here for PFF wrote a feature on Jamal Agnew. His story is phenomenal. What he's done. I know he's not a great, you know, not, you know, you bring him up in that. Couldn't even start with the Lions, but he is a fantastic. In that he's like, yeah, That's what they signed him for. Yeah. All right. Football team at Broncos. This was an ugly game. Oh, all right, well, let's give a shout out to Geno Smith, too. That was the best he's probably looked at quarterback maybe ever. No, again, yeah. against the Jags. But that was... He dropped some dimes in that yeah. one. That one to Tyler Lockett. In the, oh, man. That was, he had a handful of really nice throws. Geno Smith stepping up. Football team at Broncos. Broncos favored by three. Three before the fire sale. Football team wins this one. Yeah. Um, they win and sell a fire sale. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, it's, and, and rightfully so. I, I mean, they are not competitors with just the way their offense is with the state of that linebacking core, everything. But I want to focus on the other side of the ball where the football team obviously probably shouldn't be. There's not much to sell. you got a lot of young guys. You want to keep them intact. You want to build around them. But my Lord, Taylor Heineke had the worst end of game stretch I maybe have ever seen. That the four plays after they had God's gift, the fumble from Melvin Gordon to give them a second chance at getting a touchdown he, on first down, tries to throw a pick. On second down, takes a sack. And yeah, they had timeout, but everyone and their mother knows you don't fucking take a sack in that situation. Third down, throws a one-yard pass on the sideline. And then fourth down, last play of the game. He threw it out of bounds. Threw it out of the back of the end zone. I was, I, I literally could not believe. Uh, I, Washington fans deserve better. It's just they, they deserve better. They... I really hope they end up with whatever QB one comes out next year because that they they that was just that was too painful to watch. This this team has too much talent to be playing the way they are right now. Yeah, I mean Taylor Heineke. I think a lot of people after obviously 
that postseason performance. We're hoping he could be more than a flash in the pan. He has not. He has been. Yeah. Horrendous. I mean, he's playing losing football with the football team. You talk about Mac Jones maybe not playing well, but he's not playing losing football. Like this is losing football for Heineke. The other thing I wanted to see, I was I was looking at Chase Young, graded really well in run defense in this game. I actually looked it up. He has the highest run defense grade of any edge defender in the NFL. Ranks just 36th in pass rushing grade. We've talked about Chase Young and his development a little bit on this show. Some concerns, you know, weeks four through week six. He doesn't even have as big of a passing rushing grade or high as a pass rushing grade as he had last year. Where are your concerns? Where's the concern meter or panic button on Young? You know, this pass rushing not progressing maybe as people expected. I mean, that's kind of how Khalil Max. That's the first name I thought. Career started. Like, there, there's beating blocks is a good start. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really care how you beat them. That's a good start. And Cleo Mack comes out, 90.3 run defense grade, 68.8 pass rushing. Now that was year one. And year by year two, I was obviously had an elite pass rushing grade. But that's a good start. Obviously, the Washington football team defensive line gets game planned for a lot because uh, they go four across with guys that can win one-on-ones. So that's difficult. And, and so those guys get chipped on the edge a good deal. You get a lot of quick game against them. Like It impacts the game even if they're not consistently getting pressures but yeah even when he does has had his one-on-ones this year it hasn't looked like the elites among the nfl so I, i'm not pushing any panic but when you have the highest run defense grade in the nfl that's obviously a very good thing that's still an impactful part of the game but i would have thought like i, I think a lot of, of people are surprised by this it's not just us it's not just washington fans bucks at saints saints for five point dogs at home what would the uh, before we start? James Winston gets hurt pretty early in this game. It's confirmed he has a torn ACL. We'll talk about what the Saints should do at quarterback here soon. If you knew Trevor Simeon was going to play as much as he did, what do you think the line would have been before this game started? Oof. 14, 15, yeah, 13 and a half. Maybe yeah, something like I mean, that. it could have cleared. I mean, the Bills were like 14 point favorites over the Dolphins with their starting quarterback. I think this could have been a 14, 15 point spread with Trevor Simeon. And the Saints went outright. The Saints went outright. And Tom Brady has one of the worst games we've seen from him, if not the worst game we've seen from him in a Bucks uniform. It was not good. A lot more mistakes. And Simeon didn't even play well. Like Simeon did not even play well in this game. But Tampa Brady, you know, kind of not gave this game away, but he played worse enough or bad enough to uh to ultimately lose this one, even as five point favorites. Dude, him against New Orleans. Something about it. They they have his number. Go back to last year. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Three picks in that week nine game. No touchdowns. Two picks in the week one game. They also, I think, lost both of those. Then then even the playoffs, like, wasn't great in that game. Uh, they, they get the win, but not because of what Brady did. It's because uh, Drew Brees couldn't move the ball to save his life. So I should have I should have known better. I should have known that New Orleans, for some reason, has his number and had it once again. Now, so that play by C.J. Gardner-Johnson we brought up earlier was fantastic. But that last interception that he threw in the two-minute drill was uh, rookie shit. That's like you'd expect that from Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence has legitimately thrown that pick, <laughs> thrown that pick this year. But that was uh, just about as unexpected an outcome, like you said, with Trevor Simeon coming in as we saw all weekend. Yeah. Seth Galina, analyst here at PFF, is writing up a piece on that Saints defense and just how good it was against Tom Brady and how good it's been this season. Like you said, the Chaun- uh, Chauncey... Gardner Johnson piece was this, very, were very good. This was also the game that made me just like really realize that we have had some disastrous roughing calls over the weekend. <laughs> that the roughing the passer rule has to change. A guy, it, it one, it should be like 
a quarterback has to go to the ground. I think it's, I think Justin Mosqueda tweeted that at me. I like that rule. If, if a quarterback doesn't end up on the ground, how hard could you have hit him? Like how violently? I mean, if you blast him in the face. But okay, so like that's the thing. A hand or arm to the face, unless it is legitimately a cocked back punch, but the vast majority of head and neck contact with arms He's trying is to get someone, someone's trying to swat a ball is nothing that that is less than a stiff arm Mm -hmm. that happens every single play along offensive line on tackles that is like that is a very unassuming play no one's ever gotten a concussion or concussion like symptoms or whatever from a hit like that Mm -hmm. those should not be those should immediately be removed from the rough roughing the passer lexicon it just should be like that's that is not a roughing call that is a normal movement that people make in the game of football that Again, has no like negative consequences and in, in, in injury risk associated. I, I agree with what you're saying in that the roughing the passer penalty should be changed. But I will say, if it does, if you did add the ruling that the the, the, when the player has to go to the ground, you could see a lot more flops. I think you'd see a lot. You get hit and you're just going straight. Yeah, to the I ground. like that. Every, that we know who's a bitch. Like you don't. No, that's you don't want people getting those penalties and stuff like that. I, I think it does need to be reviewed. It needs to be reviewed. And I think why can't you review the? I, I know that slows down the game, and so much of what the NFL has tried to do is not slow down the game. But those are 15 yard automatic first down penalties, and sometimes lead to ejection. Those should be reviewed. Those should be reviewed, in my opinion. And it can be a quick review. It doesn't have to be this long winded review. If it does, if it doesn't look malicious. Yeah. Then it needs to be it needs to be called back. Like you can initially call it all you want, but yeah, I, I agree with you one hundred percent. Cowboys Vikings another another game with a shit roughing call. Terrell Basham, Kirk Cousins that was terrible. That was terrible. Like he didn't put his weight on him or anything. I thought that's what it was going to be. Like he did not put his full weight into his body at all. Legitimately, could have been game changing. Obviously, the Vikings shit the bed, lose in the end, but that could have like that extended a drive that could have been the game winner for the Vikings. So, man, like another one that like just needs to be out of the game because those are so in, inconsistently called one and two just so unavoidable in a lot of scenarios uh you basically if, if you're a defender you can't if a guy pump fakes you you can never make tackles you know like it, yeah if you really wanted to take that out of the game uh like you could never tackle a guy making a pump fake ever or else that you would risk in the passer. That's just how it's going right now. The uh, Cowboys win this one 2016 with Cooper Rush starting. It opened at Dallas minus two and a half with the assumption that Dak was playing. It closed at Minnesota minus four and a half when that news was confirmed that Dak Prescott wasn't playing. But still, Cowboys win by four in this one. Easily, you know, maybe the worst game that Kirk Cousins has played this year. He's been grading so well all season long. And the other note I had here too is Randy Gregory. He's, I think, the second highest graded edge in the NFL right now. He is breaking out and a honestly, like a legitimate star for the Dallas Cowboys. I can't wait for them. They're expected to get Demarcus Lawrence back at some point, right? If they can get Lawrence back and then they have Gregory, that defensive line, that defense is already exceeding expectations from last year, is going to take you know more improvement. Yeah, and then Micah Parsons is it just night and day difference over what Jalen Smith was last year for this team. I mean, just so much more sound, just so so many more plays being made up the middle. And yeah, he has his fair share of uh, boneheaded mistakes, fair share of times being out of position. But then he also makes plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage that I don't think anyone else does. I think he had eight stops in this game. Mm-hmm. Just a very impactful dude. And this is a different Vikings defense. And obviously, it doesn't take a lot to be different from what it was last year. They were maybe the worst in the NFL or one of. But they are so much improved. Of over what we saw last year, that this is a it's a real Super Bowl team. I mean, shit, even with 
not with Cooper Rush, but to beat a Vikings team with your backup quarterback is, on the road is special. Yeah, I think this Dallas Cowboys team is firmly in the Super Bowl hunt in the NFC. Monday Night Football, and then we'll jump to our fun to watch, watch, Rookie of the Week, Kick Your Pants, Tailgate Review, etc. Monday Night Football, you're taking the Chiefs minus 9.5. I'm on Giants plus 9.5. And, and I'm going to Eric Eager's house, noted Chiefs fan, to watch it with him. Oof. So I think I'm going to be bringing some Giants energy to a, a, a much-needed balance at Don't Eric Eager's that. house. Don't be that guy. You're that, that guy, guy in Notre Dame. Everyone hates that guy. Everyone That's hates true. that guy who wants to root against you just for the fun of rooting against it. It's like I have I have a good can, story about being that be guy. In pros- we can prosper. We can have a good time. We can lose or win in fellowship. But you choose. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> lose or win in fellowship. I have a good story about being that guy in the Niners Ravens Super Bowl. My dad raised me mm-hmm. to hate the Niners. You yeah. hate the San Francisco good. 49ers, even though they're not in your division. You hate them. The games where they would play every year in the preseason before there were so many fights at Oakland Coliseum that they stopped that preseason rivalry. You just you hated them. My dad in that Super Bowl said, "Ah, I kind of want the Niners to win, Bay Area team." I didn't. I couldn't talk to him for a week. Yeah. I couldn't talk to him for a week. I can't believe it. He was saying "we," and you know what? When you're oh. a fan, when you're a fan. We is sacred, and I you could you could debate whether or not that's like kind of like psych, psycho to even do that when you're not a part of the no, team. No, I, like, I we police. I, yeah. I'm a we policer. You're a we policer. I think a lot, and people should be, but he we would you obviously say when you're a kid like we as in the Raiders we're 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 going down you know at half too early whatever. He's like we just need to get back run the football with San Francisco. I screamed at the top of my lungs. We it was a uh, it was a rough time to be a kid seeing your dad just you know turn to the dark side. And uh, dad, if you're listening, I don't think you are. Um, I would definitely encourage you to 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 go back and you know, honestly wish you didn't do that. <laughs> All right, on to fun to read. Adam Schefter making the list, which you rarely see. We talked about this one a little bit over the weekend. He sends out that memed picture of Rogers when his helmet's like blown off his head and he's got the chin strap around his nose. And then he says, it's okay to be the weak, weak chinned, no ass guy. Yeah. I don't, I don't really understand what he's so, talking so, about. Okay. He said, it's okay being the weak chin, no ass guy. And this was one, it's no one got the reference. It's like you said, it didn't, you didn't get what he's talking about. It was in reference to Aaron Rodgers on the, on Pat McAfee interview he does every week on like Tuesdays. Uh, that are always actually pretty good. I, if you are a Packers fan, I would highly recommend. But said something about Adam Schefter, and he said, I, I, shit, I forget the exact wording, but he referred to him as weak chin, no ass guy or something like that. He was like, I don't want to be a weak chin, no ass guy. And then About Schefter? It was kind of like in reference. It wasn't like completely clear, I believe, what he was referencing. And so Schefter tweets it out, which like, it didn't make sense. The context that it was in on the Pat McAfee show didn't make sense for Adam Schefter to say it. With that picture, it was kind of just a weird hodgepodge, and he got just absolutely dogged. Kurt Benkert, who's on the Packers practice squad, said L tweet, L personality. Just replied to him. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> just, and it was like, I, I, no one got it. It was such a weird-ass tweet, but it was definitely fun to read. Tyron Matthew on a deleted tweet. Yes. Makes this. Tyron Matthews is also a friend of the show. He's been on this podcast. He also personally thanked me when I paid off my student. Not thanked me. Congratulated me when I paid off my student loans yes, on I Twitter. People forget. People forget these things. But he's on the fun to read for a deleted tweet. Yeah, this one was actually incredible. Um, he quote tweets this tweet. 
from Dan Price Seattle, who I have no clue who it is, but said saying Elon Musk just became the first person in the history of civilization to be worth three hundred billion dollars. If your salary was one hundred one million dollars a year and you never spent any of it, you would reach his current three hundred two billion dollar net worth three hundred two thousand years from now. He pays an effective tax rate of three point three percent. And then Tyron Matthew quote tweets this, and he says. And there are people who worry about what Tyron Matthew tweets, LMAO, which like I don't understand the relationship. There's none. That's the thing. <laughs> he could have quote tweeted third a picture of that. Barney and said, "And there are people who care about what Tyron Matthew tweets, LMAO." There, there was just there was nothing. There was no correlation between <laughs> his tweets and uh, that. And it's like, yeah, there are people who care about your tweets. There are Chiefs fans. There are fans of the NFL. They 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 pay attention to what you do. Um, so does he Tyra, often that, that does one, he often he, tweet in the third person? Um, no, but he does often delete tweets. He's like the he's the king of the frustrated A tweet deleter. Tweet and then delete it. Which, I mean, I'm just glad I didn't have Twitter when I was like in high school or something, and probably had some would have had some disastrous things, just like after. Bad games. Yeah. Just like I tweeted tweet Wisconsin stinks. And, yeah, you tweeted, <laughs> I tweeted well, Wisconsin different. stinks in uh, Chicago from the yeah. bar, and I had to delete that one. That was not that was not my pr proudest moment. For Tyron Matthew, if he doesn't often tweet in the third person, there is part of me too that like thinks he thought he was on a burner, but maybe wasn't. Like because I don't see him do that a lot. I don't see yeah. him do Tyron Matthew. So I don't know. I'm not I'm speculating on a friend of the show. I'm not gonna do it. Uh one more fun to read from Jack Kennedy here. This one was great. This, Jack this, Kennedy. This was you Ken, retweeted Ken Jack this. from. This was actually a fun to read. This one was just hilarious. It was. This is before Monday Night Football. He said, "I heard Jackson Mahomes is en route to the 9/11 Memorial ahead of tonight's game." You're, you, you versus Jackson Mahomes is a rivalry that the po the podcast fans are it latching just cracks on me to. Up. I have no problem with them. It just literally is hilarious to me because it's so cringy and like, I just know that. Patrick has to be getting so much shit. Like, like Yo, I'm yeah. not the only person who the locker sees room this has stuff to have thrown some. And it's just like, what the hell is going on? Uh, every single video he posts, the one on the obviously this tweets in reference to the one in the Sean Taylor memorial, but uh, the complete obliviousness of Jackson Mahomes to, or maybe he's not oblivious, but to how he's perceived in the rest of the world is kind of incredible. All right, before we get off of fun to watch, uh, on to fun to watch, watch, only two tweets there that I want to announce on the pod live. Titans are signing Adrian Peterson to the roster here. Adrian Peterson. Officially the oldest running back in the NFL. I expect to come in and split opportunities with Jeremy McNichols out of the gate, but could, you know, depending on what, how much tread is on these tires, could potentially be the lead back there for Tennessee. Your reaction to Dude, this signing. How fucking much does Adrian Peterson just love football? Oh, he has to. He has to. The dude has uh, three thousand one hundred ninety-two career carries. Maybe he's just maybe he's chasing like records at this point. I don't know. But he's thirty-six years old. Has an insane amount of tread on the tires. Uh, is one of the all-time workhorses and is going to an offense that obviously just had a workhorse themselves that may be in, is in need of one. But dude, thirty-six years old. Just you got enough. I, I would hope to live well the rest of your life uh, it would be nice to walk when you're in your 50s but 
he's trending towards maybe that not being the case, unfortunately. Yeah, that's this is going to be a meat grinder. He's excited to join a contender. That's a quote from Josina Anderson. I'm, I'm interested to see. I, I think it's smart. They were, I knew they were going to add someone, and I also think it's smart that they're not trading, or at least not yet. I think it is smart to not trade for someone when you can sign an Adrian Peterson off the street. I think he can come in with Jeremy McNichols. And obviously not per place what Derrick Henry does, but... From a resourcing standpoint, I think it does make sense to go for the signage route with how many you know talented running backs there are available. So Adrian Peterson coming in, I think, will be an interesting addition, but in no way, shape, or form, in my opinion, going to mitigate the loss of Derrick Henry. Fun to watch, watch. Mm. Every time, every you know, we get tagged in a lot of these things. I also miss some. I feel like there's so many now. Like I think everyone says someone's fun to watch at certain yeah. points, but. Akeem Hicks called Justin Fields fun to watch. Yes, and then we also the had third Justin Fields mention. <laughs> Which not just, a lot of people are giving like glowing reviews of his actual performance, but watching it, always a good time. So that's been Joe Burrow said it. I forget who else said it. And then Akeem Hicks. We've got multiple guys giving him this fun to watch stamp of approval. I, this for the first time, I think this is the most accurate, yep. fun to watch ever. Jameis Winston, according to Barstool Big Cat, is so much fun to watch chaos at all times and that rings on and off the football field his workout videos when he was dancing on crutches after they won like Jameis Winston is objectively fun to watch and I'm not you no know, no there is no other take with Jameis Winston you know there is yeah. people call him the roller coaster roller coasters are fun to watch he is objectively fun to watch and it's honestly the it's this award should honestly be called the Jameis Winston award because he is the most fun to watch player in the NFL should we call it the honorary from here on out after obviously tearing his ACL this past weekend the honorary Jameis Winston fun to watch. Segment. I think so. I'm 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 ready to do it. All right. Yep. It's the honorary Jameis Winston fun to watch. Segment. Rookie of the week, Gregory Rousseau for the Buffalo Bills. Graded super well this past week. You also had honorable mentions for Michael Carter, running back of the New York Jets, and then Micah Parsons, the Dallas Cowboys linebacker. Yeah, Carter maybe gets it if he didn't have a drop in that game as well, because I think it, over 100 yards on the ground, almost or over 100 yards through the air, almost 100 on the ground. He was. The electric dude we saw at North Carolina, and as we mentioned pre-draft, one of the best receiving backs coming out in this draft, showed that uh, play after play after play with Gregory Roussel, and now you could say the competition level he was going up against the toilet paper roll that is the Miami Dolphins offensive line, but five pressures in the game, uh, was the highest graded defender, uh, rookie defender of the week, and through a few different moves in there. So yeah, 87.7 overall grade. A, a few more than we've seen. I think I said early on that someone asked me about the preseason. And it was very encouraging. But it was kind of still the same collapse the pocket long arm that we saw. And yeah, he went back to that. And, and that's a deadly move. That's going to be his bread and butter with kind of who he is physically with a linear like skill set wise and sort of physically kind of he's going to be a Rashawn Gary type of pass rusher. That's kind of who he is as an athlete. But I thought you saw him use his hands a little bit better, went on some inside moves in this game that was very encouraging if you're a Bills fan. And again, competition level, going up against shit. Was it Jesse Davis on the mm -hmm. right side? Not, not great, but... I mean, that Miami Dolphins offensive line. But yeah, but Greg <laughs> Rousseau, a good 
game. Before we get to the blackout of the week, maybe re-reference your cake, your pants, and then the tailgate review, which will be an interesting one to say the least, going to mention DraftKings. NFL fans hungry for a big win this week. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Uh, blackout of the week, Dan Moore off the tackle with the Pittsburgh Steelers. The hated 0.0 pass blocking grid. Mm. Double bagel. Tough. And it was like, this one is almost, you almost hate to include him because he is a guy that legitimately, sh- I don't want to say shouldn't have been starting. Like he's been an NFL, he's an NFL caliber player, but he was a fourth round rookie going up against Miles Garrett, the best edge rusher in the NFL. And yeah, they tried to scheme around as best they could, but it was still anytime they went one on one, it was over. It was he was not blocking him and did not block him in this game. Five pressures allowed. Uh, it was not great. And like I said, the zero point zero. So that was your unfortunate blackout of the week. Finally, the tailgate review. My goodness. So I'll tell the story. Tailgate review. We do the college football live show, and we're. Excited. They, they theme the show a little bit after the world's yes. largest outdoor cocktail party. They have us on the show because we're going bring some tailgate energy to the college football live show, which you can find, I think, at 11 a.m. on Fridays on YouTube every single week. We're like, yep, yeah, we're going to Jacksonville right after this, right after this. We're going to jump on the flight. We do. We get there. Um, you have TSA pre-checks, so you leave me and David Sofaro in line, a so, long line, at the Cincinnati airport, which you hate to see. We get on this flight to Charlotte. We have a transfer or a a connecting flight in Charlotte to Jacksonville. Excited. Stoked, really. We land in Charlotte. Notification on our phones. As soon as we turn off airplane mode, your flight to Jacksonville is canceled. Customer service line is an absolute nightmare. We find out that the crew at American Airlines, they're having some walkout due to the COVID vaccine mandate at American Airlines. So this is not weather-related. And when it's not weather-related, it is not comped <laughs> so they can get you home but hotels are not comped and all that stuff so a little frustration there we're not we want to get to jacksonville but the only flights that were made available wouldn't get us there until like right around when the game was starting so we felt like the trip would have been you know you can't tailgate <laughs> when the game's starting so we end up finding the first flight back out to cincy we stay one night in charlotte which charlotte by the way if we want to review cool charlotte city. was pretty sweet i like yeah. charlotte good bar good bar scene right in halloween weekend but um, we did not make it to the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, and Jacksonville suddenly has become a rival of the podcast. Yeah, that. Not or American Airlines. American Airlines is the rival of the podcast. I didn't go and tweet it because I hate people that tweet it because it's like we get it. You're trying to use your clout for, or the fact that maybe you have a blue check mark to your advantage. Everyone was in the same boat as we were. We're we there were a lot of people that were way more fucked than we were yeah for, oh, in terms yeah. of flights people were literally stranded had like been at the airport we got the airport in charlotte probably like 8 p.m there were people we talked to that had been there all day long stuck because every single one of their flights got canceled so we had it a little bit better than a lot of people in that we just spent an unfortunate night in charlotte and had to fly back in the morning but 
God damn, the world's all out of crap. It's it's on the list for next year, I guess. Like, I mean, we we, we have to get back on there. We have to make a play. It was unfortunate. At least we still get to see Georgia in a couple weeks at Tennessee, but that was that would have been fun. The other thing is that you have an American Express card. So you were able to get us into the free lounge at oh, the airport, yeah, yeah. and we had some food, had some drinks. That was a good time. That was a good time. I mean, we turned red lights into green. I highly recommend. I, I, if you've never been at an airport lounge, everything's free. Obviously, like you tip one out, but like it, it is worth. You know, you pay a couple hundred bucks for, if you travel. Probably you pay a couple hundred bucks for a credit card. If you travel a few times a year, it is worth every single penny. Absolutely, highly recommend. That's gonna do it for this episode of Tailgate. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, we are going to be on to the Wednesday episode. We're gonna have Max Mitchell on, offensive tackle for Louisiana, also the highest graded offensive tackle in the country. Fantastic storyline there at ULL. Until next time, Austin Gill, Mike Renner, and also the producers David Sofaro, Max Chadwick, Stone Rochelle, Mike Quinn. Tailgate. Yeah.